1: Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: 13 Days of Halloween is from Grim & Mild, Blumhouse, and iHeart 3D Audio. Headphones recommended. Listener discretion advised.
1: They're searching for something out there by the island. They'll probably never find it. Nothing comes out of these waters once it's gone in. Well, almost nothing. Where where am I? You've got quite the cut on your forehead. Well, how did that happen? I, I, I don't know. How did you get here? I don't know. I don't know anything. Okay, well, what's the last thing that you remember? Nothing. girl. Crack on the skull. Must have knocked a few things loose. Here. Take my hand. Let's get you to the doctor. All right. Steady. 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 Steady there. All right. Good. How do you feel?
2: Fine. Stiff.
1: A little bit of headache. Well, We'll take it easy as we go. You follow me, mm. and Dyerbrook. To answer your question, I'm sorry. You asked where you were. This is the township of Dyerbrook. Oh, we were once a prosperous fishing village, and then we were famous—famous <laughs> famous for producing parts for merchant ships. But that was a long time ago, though. We tried our hand at the tourism trade. voters called us bleak. (laughs) And uh, I'm sorry, who are you? Oh, of course. I'm so sorry. The people here call me Mother. Mother? It's a strange thing to be called, I know, but I've grown to enjoy it. It feels warm, doesn't it? And this world could use warmth. Especially this corner
3: of the world.
1: I've grown so accustomed to the nickname, I sometimes quite forget what I was called beforehand. Mother. It just feels natural. Doesn't it? Yes. Are you cold? No. Sort of numb. Well, we should find you a coat. Nonetheless... These winds get brutal this time of year. Oh, <laughs> what look, Jonathan! Who? The fisherman up there. His family has been here since the dawn of Dyerbrook. He'll have something to warm you, surely. Jonathan! Hello! Come. We'll meet him by his boat. This used to be a bustling place, this marina. Now, it's a total disrepair. A storm ten years back reduced to one working dock, and only Jonathan uses it anymore.
4: And not to fish. Hello, mother. Who's this fool girl?
1: My guest.
4: Well, she's dripping wet. She'll not last long in this wind, dressed like that. And all soggy to boot. Well, that's a nasty gash you got on your head there. I'll hang on then. This old jacket is dusty and moth-eaten, but it'll do the job. Go on, take it, put it on. Thank you. How are you there, Mother?
1: Well enough, Jonathan.
4: And you? About the same as yesterday.
1: (laughs) Well, apologies
4: still.
2: What happened yesterday?
4: Same thing as happens every other day, girl.
2: I don't understand.
4: Well, girl, here, everything returns to the sea. Not so many years ago, this was a bustling little marina. Men made their living here. It was hard, dangerous, back-breaking labor, but the sea here was generous to us. And so as long as we weren't afraid to put in the time, we could keep a solid roof over our heads and keep our families' bellies full. My father fished, and his father before him. God only knows how far back the salt and the bloodlines go. But with the salt come the stories. You've probably heard some of them before. The famous ones, mermaids and sirens and krakens. Stories passed from sailor to sailor as they travel across the globe. Stories which eventually make their way inland from the ports. My grandfather used to put me to bed with them. The stories... His gruff voice would recall six-headed sea monsters and ghost ships and all sorts of fantastic things that lit up my imagination, all but assuring that I'd follow the family tradition of making my living trolling the tides. His favorite, though, and mine by default, was the story of the mortal fish. Long, with smooth silvery scales and a streak of kelly green down its back, It was beautiful to behold, and just as elusive. story was, if you caught a mortal fish, any wish you made would come true before the next sunrise, so long as you released it back to the sea. And he wasn't just repeating rumors. He said that when he was a younger man, he'd caught one and wished for his true love, and wouldn't you know it, He met my grandmother the very next day at the market. He was a believer, my grandfather, as are most who live here. We keep these stories with us, repeat them to ourselves during the long, hard days trolling the father of the sea's tide. And it was just such a story that was running through my own head many years after the old man had died, as I mended nets one early morning, the full moon high in the sky and a line in the water to perhaps catch breakfast. My mind was drifting, dreaming of mermaids when there was a tug on the line. Gentle, barely perceptible, but when you make your living fishing, you become attuned to these sorts of things. Gentle nudges, letting you know you'll eat that day. When I reeled it in, there, on the hook, was the most beautiful fish I'd ever pulled out of the water. It was just as my grandfather had described it, sleek, silver, the greenest green streak running down its back. And what's more, its eyes seemed to reflect the dusky pre-dawn light with some sort of intelligence. I don't know how else to describe it. The fish knew that I knew him. What he was. The mortal fish. Now, I was never accused, even in my youth, of being a true believer in anything, but I wasn't going to eat this beautiful creature, nor was I going to let an opportunity pass, just in case the old man had been right. I mean, even I am not above a little superstition. And so I made the same wish my grandfather had before me. Being a romantic, I wished for a great love. And I tossed the fish back into the water. I hadn't made it back to the dock when I heard the cries. There she was, off my starboard bow, thrashing in the water, as if tangled in a net. Without thought, I turned the boat and pulled her in. If I told you she was beautiful, it would be a lie by omission. The truth is, I'd never seen a beauty before I laid eyes on her. Her hair was a silvery type of blonde, like moonlight, her eyes kelly green, even dressed in tattered rags and soaked to the bone she was, I asked what brought her so far out and she said the tide so I asked her name and she told it to me it's a name I'll not repeat now a name that will never cross these lips again but at that moment, I was hopelessly smitten. She came home with me that day and she stayed. She was strange and magical and mysterious. She wouldn't tell me about her past, wouldn't talk about her family, only the future, our future. Most of all, the child that she wanted for us to have. She could describe him in great detail. Strong arms and a stout trunk, like his pop, silver-haired and green-eyed like his mother, a dreamer and a fighter. I could see him in my mind's eye when she spoke, and I was just so happy. Entranced, I suppose. Enchanted. We were soon married. She wore my grandmother's silver ring. It was only fitting. And soon thereafter, on another night, with a full moon high in the sky, she bore me that child. He was beautiful as well. Small and delicate, but with a terrible sort of weight to him, as if he'd sink like a stone in the water. But with mother's hair and and piercing green eyes. We named him Edward after my father, though I suspect that she whispered another name to him as he slept in his bassinet. I felt complete. I had a family. That should be the end of the tale, a happy dream made real, but the sea is fickle with her gifts. Over the coming weeks, my wife became restless, spoke of returning home to her father, spoke of bringing Edward with her. I told her I'd happily bring her home if she'd just let me know where home was for her, but she wouldn't meet my eye, and would only become sour-faced and call me a stupid brute. It went on like this for weeks after Edward arrived. I thought, perhaps it was the sadness that sometimes comes after a woman gives birth, you know, that... Well, I'm no expert on these things. But I know when something has gone too far. And one night, the night of the next full moon, it did. I don't know what woke me. The squeak of the back door, or wind blowing up the path from the beach and into the bedroom... But I knew at once that she was gone. The bassinet beside the bed, already cold and empty. I jumped out of the bed and ran, and though I was barefoot and in my skivvies, I didn't feel any of the cold. At least not physically. As I followed my instincts down the rocky path to the shore, where I found her, just in time, as she walked into the frigid ocean, my boy in her arms... Without a second thought I followed her into the water grabbing her shoulder trying to pull her back toward the shore and she turned her face was not hers the snarl on her face the spittle flying from her gleaming teeth her green eyes glowing phosphorescent to this day I I can't tell if she changed yet or if that look was just Her pure hatred of her poor husband. I only know that it wasn't a human face that greeted me. She screamed at me, holding Edward in one arm, swiped at my face with the other, her nails tearing into my cheek, drawing blood. But my eyes were on the boy, my child, and, and I fought and pulled, and finally he was free and terrified. I moved as quickly as I could back to the shore. All the while... Her shrieking curses like something out of hell behind me. When I made it back to the beach, with Edward wailing in my arms, I turned. I turned back to see if she'd followed, but she was gone. It was just me. Winded and bleeding. The salt stinging my wounds. And Edward crying his salt tears. And the ocean... she did not stay gone days passed and then weeks but I remained vigilant I locked the doors kept Edward close by my side and never out of my sight night or day and then came the full moon Edward and I both slept fitfully that night I dreamt he was lost in the water that I was drowning trying to find him the cold hands were dragging me down I woke to a tapping when I turned to the window to look out I saw her there standing on the other side of the glass naked her silver hair wild shining in the moonlight her eyes burning acid green though the window separated us I heard her voice clear and haunting from the other side give me back my child she said it made my blood run cold Edward must have heard it too And he giggled and cooed to see his mother at the window. But I told her no. No. I wouldn't let her take him into the ocean again. She could never have him. She said nothing more. She just retreated back from the window, back toward the beach. I did not sleep the rest of that night. Again. Days passed. Again. Weeks. And again. The full moon came. And in the night, she returned. Give me back, my
1: child.
4: And no, I said. And Edward, laughing in his bassinet at the funny game Mommy was playing with Daddy. And she kept coming after that. Every month. As Edward grew too big for the bassinet and moved to a crib in the bedroom. And slept less and less. Then... One night, the night of his first birthday, after a long day of cake and celebration, I allowed myself a single glass of whiskey before bed. One glass. That was it. That's what it took for me to sleep through the night. When I woke, he was gone. The crib was empty. The back door open to the sun rising over the bay her footprints leading down to the water she had taken him home I searched I took the boat up and down the coast posted his picture everywhere I could but I knew she had him she was with him and so I set about looking for the mortal fish again I called out to him begged the water for reprieve prayed to the father that I'd do anything anything for my boy's return I received my answer that next full moon as I lay awake in the night staring out the window I heard a tapping at the back door I jumped from bed and ran to see who it was but when I opened the door there was no one there just the wind off the ocean. When I stepped out to investigate further, my foot found something cold and slimy on the stoop, and when I bent over, I recognized it immediately. It was the mortal fish, dead, its belly split, and its guts spilled across the doorstep. Something shone in its mouth. I know what it was before I pried it out. It was my grandmother's ring, the one I placed on her finger the day we married. She would not come back. Neither would the boy. They'd gone home, and no matter how long I'd travel the sea, if I were to traverse every inch of its surface, I'd never find them.
2: Oh, I'm so sorry.
4: Yes, well, so am I. You'd best get moving. You're not going to get any warmer standing out here in the wind. I'm sure the father has plans for you that don't involve freezing to death while some old coot chatters at you. Mother, you'd best get her to the doctor.
1: That's the plan. Good. Thank you, Jonathan.
4: Can we expect you at the gathering tonight? Of course. Good, good. And maybe you bring this girl with you. After she's gotten herself all taken care of and put on some dry clothes. I will see if she's up to it. I certainly hope that she is.
2: Thank you for the coat.
4: Of course, miss. Now, get going. And, mother, may the father bless you.
1: Everything returns to him.
4: Yes. Eventually.
2: Tomorrow, on 13 Days of Halloween, The Road.
0: Clearing my head seemed the polite thing to do. Now that my head had company over, and a new thought nagged at me, what should I be doing now with all this truth in my head? Careful. Not well. I mean... Why bother hauling 120 slabs of hog meat across country in a refrigerated truck when the rest of the hogs get to just walk around out there on their own, you know? Dressed in people clothes, pretending to
2: speak human. 13 Days of Halloween, The Sea, starring Kathy Jimmy, Bethany Ann Lind, and Robin Bloodworth. Written by Nicholas Tikoski, sound design and mixing by Josh Thane, engineering by Violet Furton, Dubway Studios, New York, casting by Jessica Luza, created by Matt Frederick and Alex Williams, with executive producer Aaron Mankey, a production of iHeartRadio, Grim and Mild, and Blumhouse Television.